Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ sponsored by Medical Protection about the everyday challenges of being a GP. This week, we're joined by executive coach and former GP, Dr. Claire Kay, who is an expert in helping people find their way to having a career that they love and coping with change. First, let's say hello to the Deep Breath In team. We've got Jenny and Tom with us. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Navjoit. I'm Jenny Rasanathan, a family medicine doctor and clinical editor for the BMJ. Hi, and hi, Tom. Hi, uh, I'm Tom Nolan. I'm a GP and clinical editor for the BMJ and um, someone in need of some coaching, I think. so. <laughs> well, let's get straight into it then and uh, meet our special guest who we're delighted to have with us for the whole episode in our Zoom studio, Claire Kay. Claire, welcome to Deep Breath In and thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thanks for having me. Um, lovely to see you guys. Um, well, I am very lucky because I've had a long career as a GP and uh, many years ago, I decided that I was going to have an interest in coaching and that's developed and developed. And actually, I gave up clinical medicine about four years ago to con- concentrate on my coaching. And actually, what I do is I coach doctors mainly. Um, and it's really interesting because actually the doctors I coach tend to feel very stuck tend to feel like they're not going anywhere, they can't really understand where their career is heading, and they just feel like they don't know which direction to go. And it's amazing what happens when they have some coaching um, and how they flourish and how they thrive as a result of that and how they find themselves again and work out what they really want and how to get it. That's so interesting. And what are some of the um, common issues you see in the people, well, in the people, particularly GPs, um, that you might coach? So I see loads and loads of GPs and uh, the big things that people come to me with are them feeling exhausted, feeling like they don't know why they do general practice anymore, feeling like they can't cope, feeling like the workload is too much, feeling like everything's changing and they can't keep up, that the challenges are so stressful, that they just feel like they don't know who they are anymore and they often don't know if they actually want to do it anymore. And what's really interesting is that when people have coaching, they start to find themselves again. They start to lose the noise. And I'll talk about noise a bit later, but they start to lose that noise in your head and they start to feel less depleted, less, more able to kind of cope with the things, the environment that's around them and able to see a sort of light through to the end of the tunnel of where they actually want to go. Mm, That's really interesting because one of the things, you know, we talk about a lot of the challenges in general practice and how, how that can make GPs feel and the kind of effect on well-being generally Um, and often those problems can feel quite intractable and out of your control so it's really interesting to hear you say that you know people are able to fight sort of chart a path through that. Yeah I'll give you an example so I was um, recently I had a GP partner who I was coaching and she was in her she's in her mid-50s and she came to me and she said I can't do this anymore I've been a partner for 25 years I've just had enough I don't know why I'm doing it. It's too much. I'm exhausted all the time. I'm getting anxious when I'm not in work. Um, it's just too much. And I there, there is no set outcome in coaching. It's only the only outcome is to get to what you want and working out what you want. That's my view on coaching. And so there was no sort of like, right, let's work out how you're leaving medicine. It was very much right, let's work out who you are. Let's work out what in an ideal world you'd want. And what's so fascinating um, with her, and it happens a lot, is that through the coaching, she fell back in love with medicine and she realized that there were certain bits that she didn't enjoy, but actually there were other bits that she was so passionate about. And she loved being involved in running the practice and she loved her special interests that she had clinically. And it was really about how we shaped her week and how we shaped her mindset and how we looked at how she could do less of the stuff she didn't like and more of the stuff she did like without disrupting the team. All of those things combined. And actually, we finished her coaching series, which I usually do about six to eight months with people. About We finished about, I think, about nine months ago. And I got an email from her last week. And she is thriving. She says she's never been happier. She's doing more of her special interests. She's thrown herself back into the, the actual management of the practice, which she loved. She has changed the setup of her week. And she said that what's most fantastic is that when she hits a hurdle that she's not happy with, if there's something that she doesn't like, she's got the tools and the skills to know how to change it. 
And that she finds really empowering. So rather than being out of control and feeling like she has no influence on her life, her career, and just in this horrendous treadmill that she can't get off, she's suddenly totally in control and making choices. And she's able to now see all the benefits of her career and the joy she gets from her career rather than that ground down, groundhog day feeling, which a lot of people come to me with. Mm. Interesting. Can I can I ask you, Claire, did, did a lot of this or your interest come from patients you were seeing as a GP? Um, I just feel like so much of what you said there, you hear from patients when they come in depressed and feeling no control, no light at the end of the tunnel. Is that... It's really interesting that you say that. So that I suppose there's two sides to answer that question. Um, the first is I was very lucky um, when I was a GP trainee, my trainer um, was actually trained in um, the narrative approach, which is a consultation model by John Lorna. And it, he's he was based at the Maudsley. Who's going to be on the podcast next time? Oh, I'd love to meet him. He's a bit of a hero of mine. Um, anyway, he so his he very much influenced my trainer and her approach, and she would always be the voice in my head um, when I because any time I went to with an issue and oh, I don't know what to do with this patient, she would always say, "Well, you know, what do you think you should do, Claire?" And then she would always, you know, about putting the patient in their story. So from a very early stage in my career, that's how I was trained. The person would be in their story and to be asking these very sort of open coachy type questions. And also the other side of it is I think because of that consultation approach and how I consulted with patients for many, many years, I would always attract a lot of mental health. Um, and so we did an audit in a practice, the practice I was in for a very long time, where we had, I think, about 15,000 patients. And me and one other person, um, bear in mind there was probably 10 GPs, did 50% of the wow. mental health within the practice. And, and I think that is mainly because the coaching style consultation that I approached, even though I didn't really know I was doing that, was very much attracting that sort of cohort, which in turn, and it's interesting to see the changes that I used to get with patients by by adopting that coaching style, rather than me saying, right, this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it. It's actually, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? What's going to work for you? What would be the first step? What feels manageable? How do we take it for, forwards? What resources do you need? Who needs to help you? Well- Interestingly, on that note, Claire, actually, I one of the questions I had for you is kind of where is the line between coaching and therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, do you see clients who sometimes you think, well, actually, you need to be in therapy or yeah. actually there's something else that you need to get right now, which may or may not be accessible from coaching? So I suppose there is crossover, but I I suppose this is what I how I explain coaching, and this might be a good starting point. For me, and obviously every coach is different, I should caveat that. For me, coaching is a very practical, forward-thinking process where which is the bare bones are that it's based around setting goals and putting the next steps in place to reach those goals. But it's much more nuanced than that. And I think about it around noise. So I think when you are going through something in your life there is a lot of noise in your head, like difficult to know what decisions to make and how to make them. And, you know, on a wake up on a Monday and you think, right, I'm going to make this decision. And on wake up on a Tuesday, think, oh, no, I think it should be that decision. It just goes round around your head. It just feels very loud. And there's also all this external noise um, from friends and relatives and colleagues who kind of go, oh, I think you should do this. And why should you do that? And why you why take this forwards? And because you care about these people, it can feel like their decision making is right. And what coaching does is it gets rid of all that noise and allows you to focus on what you need and what you want rather than everyone else. And that's why I think it's so effective. And I suppose the other side of that is it's it's also not other things. So when I explain it to clients, I say explain that it isn't counseling or psychotherapy. It's a very forward-thinking process and For my mind, I would refer somebody for counselling or therapy if they had a primary mental health concern. And also it tends to be quite a retrospective process. You tend to sit in the past and deal with the past. Coaching takes bits of the past, but use them to learn to move forwards. So we never sit in the past. We just take that pattern or behavior and see what's happening and use those patterns and behaviors to then work out how to move forwards. So there is a big difference there. It's also useful to know that it isn't mentoring. So when I I think mentoring is brilliant, but mentoring 
in my opinion, has its place when you know what you want and you know how to get it, but you're not quite sure how to craft it. So say you want to do medical journalism, for example, once you know that, it's brilliant to get somebody that's five or 10 years ahead of you to then get advice about how to develop your career in that direction. But if you go for a mentor before you know what you want, you suddenly end up following their path. And it tends to be very much about the mentor rather than the mentee, whereas coaching is totally about the, the coachee. And I suppose to answer your question, the the when I have a chemistry call or a chat with somebody initially, I do exactly what you just said is to trying to work out whether somebody is feeling anxious and or depressed because of the work situation, which is what people mainly come to me for, um, whether that's the issue and that actually if we dealt with the work issue, those feelings would lift or whether actually there's a primary mental health concern. And as a result of that, the career or your life is, is, is changing and challenging. And I spend a lot of time with people and there are some people, and I suppose this is where my GP hat goes on, where my gut instinct is actually your mental health needs to be addressed first. And I send lots of people off to say, you know, either go back to the GP or have some, you know, therapy of some sort, whatever's, you know, CBT or whatever, and come back to me if you want to in due course. And there are other people that I say, look, this is my gut reaction here that actually the primary issue here is that you're really unhappy at work or you're really, you know, and we need to deal with that and that that will help to alleviate your mood and your um, your anxiety. And, and then we do progress forwards. I think so far, touch wood, I've always got it right. And there are plenty of people I've said, this isn't right for you right now, but I'm always very honest and open. So I suppose there is also crossover techniques. Like I do use a lot of CBT coaching. Um, so looking at the past and using what's the evidence of what's worked well and how we could use that again in the future and, you know, those sort of things. But um, I'm quite a deep dive person. I like to get to know the crux of the person so that we can kind of really move forward. So they've got all the tools to move forward themselves. Well, it's really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'm suddenly thinking do I, I might need to coach <laughs> from what you just described. I mean, obviously I'm totally biased, but I do genuinely think, I mean, coaching changed my life um, in the sense that I was offered a really, I was, I started having coaching when I was GPing and I was offered a really um, like top-notch powerful job in frailty which is my special interest and I nearly took it but my gut was like oh, I don't know if I want it I don't know if I want it and actually through my coaching I realized I didn't want to do it I wanted to be a coach and you know that I would never have done that I would have just carried on my conveyor belt I just would have done and it's not to say I wouldn't have been okay but I'm not sure I would have been this happy and so for me, I just think, even if you think there's no issues, there's always something that you can, I have a lot of people come to me who actually, who love what they do, but they want to optimize it. And that's also really fascinating because there's so many options open to them, but they just don't know which way to go. And that's, another, so there's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm biased. But I <laughs> I've had some, I had some coaching um, about 10 years ago when I just finished my GP training, there was some free, free coaching available through, you know, the deanery or someone or whatever they were called at the time and um yeah and it was about that you know do I want to go into GP full-time um academic route was another option and or, or trying to get in somewhere like the BMJ um and it was really helpful. I had one session it was very helpful it was all that like going back and looking at how you've made decisions before and how that's gone and I had my homework to do um but I have to say the second session um it was quite late in the in the evening and um we're both very tired and and my coach which I it was a horrible well not horrible it was a memorable moment when I saw them falling asleep as, as I was talking to them <laughs> oh, no. oh, it wasn't it, it yeah you talk about chemistry but there was there was no energy in, in this coaching session oh, because no. I made my mind up That's terrible. and we were trying to desperately think of something else to to, to think about you know to, to look at or maybe to examine the decision and um yeah, so I've been a bit, um, it's made me uh, slightly less um, uh, confident about going and getting some more coaching, but it was helpful. I mean, I, I always say that you've got to, 
when you when you're choosing a coach because there's millions of coaches out there and there's lots of different avenues to get coaching but whenever somebody's with comes to me I always just say listen choose somebody that you feel like you could go and have go to a cafe with and have a cup of tea or go to the pub and have a pint with that you would have a that sort of connection because coaching only works if there's this like two-way complete honesty like and I don't mean for the coachy to be honest with the coach I mean that they can just be so honest with themselves they can just open their mouth and anything come out so if you've got that connection then hopefully nobody falls asleep um, <laughs> I've never fallen asleep <laughs> there tends to be quite a lot of laughing in my sessions <laughs> I'm a little bit upset for you <laughs> Uh, it was on the sort of you know you know when the eyelids you know desperately <laughs> struggling to, to keep them open. But uh, maybe it sounds like your um, your first session was almost too effective. It Tom. was very it left it, you with nothing to it, talk it about. It was really good. It was really good. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm interested yeah. that you spent several months. You know, because because my experience was actually one session was very helpful. Yeah, I guess it was quite a discreet problem I I was facing. Yeah, I, I tend to do, um, I mean, t- people tend to come to me with big things like career crises or, you know, wanting to shape it, as I said. So um, I think I generally find, I've tried lots of different approaches, but I generally find that most people benefit from like a sort of six session approach, which takes about six to eight months. Um, because I I think, and it might be that why this is what happened with your situation is that you have to really get to know the person first. Um, and that's because otherwise, unless you know their story, unless you know what's, what has shaped them, um, actually, it's very difficult to know how they can move forward. Otherwise, it becomes quite a discreet, small thing, which, which sometimes works for some people. But um, that's that's my approach. And it tends to work quite well. Um, well it's, it's been on my PDP for a couple of years to get some coaching <laughs> because I, um, I was about seven, eight years as a partner and... Which, which I've now left, so I guess it's probably too late now. But um, <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> but um, for some reason, it just, just just stayed there. I've never got the energy or there's this sort of inertia about it. You, you, I just wonder. Probably most of us know that it could help, but why? Why we don't? Yeah, I think people. Um, it's interesting. Before the pandemic, I think coaching was a bit like, oh god, why are you having coaching? What's wrong with you? That sort of feeling. And then everything changed during the pandemic um in the sense that there was a lot more people self-reflecting on their careers and their lives and working out what they wanted and really thinking about things differently um so i think the sort of general mindset out there has changed but i think with coaching it's about trying to find somebody that you like and that has got on the same wavelength and has got an approach that fits with you so it can feel a bit like oh how am i going to know whether this person is is actually fitting for me so that i suppose that's why i do loads of social media and podcasts not just not to get clients to get my message across but it's that's people can get to know you and they can think actually do you know what she is not for me or actually oh i kind of like her you know so that you kind of kind of try before you buy and the other way that people do it is sometimes they'll have like a free session first um you know just to see if there's that connection um but I kind of figure that you can kind of, you know, as long as when you start to chat to somebody. And I suppose the big thing is, if you think that you want to have coaching, one of the nice questions to ask yourself is, well, what's stopping me? And what happens if I don't make a change? And will coaching help me potentially? And if you sort of thinking, well, actually coaching might help me. And if what's stopping you is, well, I don't know who to go to, then ask yourself a coachy question, which is, you know, what could I do first? What would feel manageable? And that might be just speaking to one person that's had coaching and you can get their experience. Um, or it might be doing a Google search for five minutes, but one tiny thing that will help you to move forwards helps to overcome those blocks. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm the sort of person who I'd have that free meet, free session and I'd I'd feel I didn't want to let them down. So I'd go ahead, have, have my six sessions. And... <laughs> I mean look it's, it's it is I think it is one of those things it's just about if you decide that you want it about trying to find somebody that suits you and then there's lots of ways to do that and also you know if you there are free there is free coaching out there you can get it through your um you know trust local trust or you can get it through the LMC you can get it through all sorts of other avenues um so it is available out there it's just making sure you get an experienced coach that's the thing I would say because you need somebody that you know you're you're sharing very hopefully very um personal and very important things um that you're wanting to move forwards on and it's important that that person gets 
you know, is it deserves to hold that for you. So it's got to be somebody that, you know, is going to, it's like being a doctor, isn't it? You want somebody that's got the experience to, to manage that. Yeah. Um, Claire, to what extent does it matter if you, um, do, do you need to come with an issue or a problem to solve? I think that that's something I'm interested in coaching through the BMJ um, last year as part of this kind of diversity in leadership program. And um, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to get out of it. And we had three sessions and I feel, I felt a bit like it didn't really happen. It didn't really do it. It was, it was very interesting and enjoyable. And it was like some carved out space for some reflection. And I think where we ended up kind of focusing on was, um, trying to tackle my, my self-limiting beliefs, which I do believe that I have, um, a lot of, but I don't know, it didn't really feel effective. And I wonder how, is that to do with kind of motivation? Is that to do with having like a discrete problem, knowing what knowing what it is that you want to address before you go into it? I guess what I'm asking is how can people who think they might need coaching set themselves up to kind of benefit from it the most? I think that's really interesting what you've raised um, because I think as doctors, we tend to think that we have to have a discrete right. problem with a discreet answer right and it's really interesting you said you know I didn't really know what I got out of it and I'm not really sure what we were doing or what we were talking about and yet you've listed off two or three things that you know about what your limited self-limiting beliefs and you know that it was a carved out time for self-reflection all of those are useful if you'd gone in saying right I want to know what myself you know to tackle my self-limiting beliefs and you come out knowing that with our doctor hats on that feels very satisfying but coaching can be sometimes a little bit more um intangible almost um so some people come to me going I want to change careers please help me or I'm really unhappy in my career I'd like to be an astronaut please help me that's fine but loads of people come to me and say I'm really unsettled I'm really uncertain I don't know what I want I don't know what I not don't want I just don't feel right and my job is to work out what that means and work out what the outcomes could be. And that's where the goals come in. Now, goals, well, again, are fascinating because people think they have to know what they want to work out what they want as a goal. And that's sort of true. But if you're clever with your crafting of your goals, actually your the goals act as a framework for getting to know yourself and getting to know what you want. And as a result, you still achieve your goals, but kind of in a way that's kind of round the houses as opposed to that direct route as doctors that we like. So I suppose what I would say is go with an open mind and go with that sense of how you feel. So if you feel unsettled, uncertain, unsure, that would be a great time to have some coaching because that can be addressed. If you are fine in your career and somebody's offered you some coaching, I would still say, go have the coaching because it might be that you say, do you know what? I'm really don't know what's going on with this relationship with somebody in my team. And I don't know why I'm feeling angsty with them. And actually that might be a pattern that keeps coming up so that when you go for your next role or you're staying in the current role, actually you're far more equipped and able to cope with relationships that are similar to that. Or it might be that you're, you know, that you notice that actually there are certain areas that you're really good at, that you work on your strengths and you actually go, you know what, I am brilliant at communication. I might do more of that, but actually I'm less good at sitting on my own and doing X, Y, and Z. And I've got to do that in my role. How can I tackle that better? So it's starting to, you can use coaching to optimize yourself, even if there isn't an issue in inverted commas. So I suppose it's about, for me anyway, I think everybody can benefit from coaching, but it's about trying to be less robust in what you think the outcome can be. And if you need that, I, because I coach a lot of doctors, I'm very clear with people, um, you know, about outcomes because I know that that's what we like. <laughs> <laughs> What's my outcome? But we, but with the caveat that if things change, like I've had people move countries, move jobs, deaths, you know, all sorts of massive life events happen during the coaching series. And sometimes the, the goal that they come with isn't the goal that they leave with, but we've achieved as much just in a slightly different area. And that's also, and we we check in the whole time to check that we're going in the direction they need them to need it to go with. So I would say I totally get what you're saying. And I think lots of people feel like that, but it sounds like you've got quite a lot out of it, even though you didn't know what you yeah, were getting out of it. Maybe, maybe I just, um, maybe this is quite a doctory thing of like, you know 
yeah what what's the what was the problem that was solved but I think mm. also it's probably quite a me thing and it was like oh I, I don't think I did it properly <laughs> and, <laughs> um, which yeah and I think again that that's again that relationship so you know I'm very clear I have some people that need a lot of reassurance to know that you know that you know if it becomes emotional or if it becomes you know that we're laughing too much but that's okay and the, the yeah. truth is that we're both in the fire together whatever happens happens and that's totally fine as long as you come out with a structured positive proactive endpoint in my view yeah interesting um okay we are going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to be talking to claire about managing change when you're a gp you're not just nine to five being a gp is part of who you are whatever the time of day So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you with expert medico-legal advice, including 24-7 in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims. We're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries, coroner inquests, criminal investigations and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being. With a free counselling service and e-care app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, We can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org. Okay, we're back. Um, So, Claire, I thought one of the things... um, that many of our listeners and certainly we um, are facing is, you know, how to cope and thrive with change. You know, in in general practice, it can often feel like a lot of stuff is changing. It's, you know, obviously a hot kind of policy topic. And sometimes that change can feel a bit kind of beyond your grasp to control. And that can feel really um, scary or worrying. Um, so yeah, we just thought this might be an interesting topic to kind of take a, a deeper dive, um, with you about, um, is, is coping with change something you see in your coaching practice? Oh yes, all the time. And I love talking about change. It's change. It's one of my favorite subjects. And what's really fascinating about change is that there are change lovers and change haters. And, um, I think the first thing I'd say is that if you hate change, that doesn't mean that you hate change in all aspects of your life. And if you hate change, it doesn't mean you'll always be a change hater um, and vice versa for if you're, you know, if you love change, because there are those people that thrive off change that are change makers, change agents that want to, um, they only feel really comfortable and settled when they are changing and growing, whether that's in their career or in their life. And there are other people that like to or feel more settled when they're still, when things around them are still. But I think, the thing is, as doctors, in some ways, it doesn't really matter whether you're a change lover or a change hater, but in the NHS, things change all the time, every day. And just when you've got to grips with something, it changes. And that's not just, you know, sort of the, you know, the political side of things. That's not the management side of things. Just it's also in medicine itself. You know, I always used to say, you know, I just got to grips with whatever it was gone on a course and got all this new information in my head and I put something in one ear and something else would fall out the other ear so you know it was just constantly that change feels a lot of the time overwhelming and I think it creates uncertainty and I think it makes people feel sometimes demotivated um, and out of control but I suppose there are ways of looking at change that can change the way that you approach that um, and I, I've got some thoughts around how to think about change which I think might be quite useful to touch on perhaps that will help to give people a few tools to cope not even to cope actually to thrive in change as opposed to drown in it uh well I I love change but um I think only when it's change that I've decided to make rather than being done to me and I'm very good at digging my heels in when somebody else has changed (laughs) 
Yeah, I think, Tommy, you've hit an absolute corker of a point, to be honest, because that, to me, is exactly the the, the nub of change. Because when I, I still classify it, I don't know if this is real classification or my classification, but um, I classify it as created change and enforced change. So when we create our own change, then it's really exciting and it's an opportunity and I can't wait. And this is oh, it's a bit scary at times and there might be bits when you think, oh, what did I do? But ultimately that change feels thrilling and like, yeah, wow, this is great. But when it's enforced change, i.e. it's change happening to you, it can feel very different. It can feel overwhelming. It can make you feel like you just don't want to do it. That Why is it happening? Why doesn't it stop? We were fine as we were. And sometimes people feel like it's enforced changed all the time in their whole life. So I'm sure that most people could think right now of situations in their lives where they have chosen a change. Yes, it's still been a bit scary. And yes, it's, there's that bit of uncertainty, but the overall sense is that it feels good. Um, and then there's been other points in their life, perhaps when I don't know, you know, they've had to change roles for no for no reason or whatever it is at work, something's happened where the policies have changed or their rotors have changed or whatever. And it feels just so distressing and it made quite angry a lot of the time and almost like just almost like we're just wanting to say, ah, stop. And I suppose for me, one of the, the, the first things that people should do if things are if you're feeling that unsettled feeling is to start to just notice that things are changing and notice that they have change in their life. I mean, let's face it, you know, particularly since the pandemic, we can't make plans to do anything these days, can we? I mean, everything changes all the time and getting, you know, it might just be, you know, you plan to go to the theatre or to the cinema or something and you can't because things have changed because, you know, COVID or whatever. So it's that constant change is around us in all parts of our lives. And one thing is for sure is that change is here to stay. Change will continue to happen. And there are things that you can do to cope with that. And the first thing is to notice change and notice that it is at work, that it is at home. And then to think, well, is this created or enforced change? And once you understand that, it can start to help shape your feelings about what it is. So that's the third bit is, well, how do I feel about this change? So actually, am I rather scared, but actually I know the outcome is pretty good, or I just don't want this, this feels really awful, and I just want it to stop. And then when you work that out, you can start to say, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? And you could say, well, okay, when have I gone through enforced change before? And what did I do about it? What, what helped me to cope with it? What was useful then? How could I use it again? And those sort of looking back um, can be really helpful. And another big thing that you can do is to say, well, this is quite, this is going to take quite a lot of energy. Have I got enough reserve there to cope with this change? So am I doing those age-old things, which we always forget as doctors to do, which I'm really passionate about, which is that thing about looking after ourselves? Because let's face it, if we look after ourselves, we tend to provide better patient care and we tend to thrive more. So that bit about coping with change, you have to be able to know that you're eating okay, sleeping okay, that you are allowed breaks, that you are allowed to laugh, you're allowed to connect with people. All those sort of things are really important. So there's a lot there. But I suppose the first thing is just to think about, you know, how do I feel about this change? And once you know that, you can start to go, oh, it's okay that I feel a bit rubbish about this change because I didn't choose it. And I'll come on later to the change cycle, but I think that's also quite a useful area to look at. These things always remind me of that um, in, in, my, in my childhood. And in, in the cloaks toilet, there was a crochet thing saying like um that prayer about um change and what's it called uh you know grant me the um courage to change the things i can and the the, the serenity to accept the things i can't and the wisdom to know the difference <laughs> oh i got there yeah. i got there <laughs> yeah. is, that right? is that is that kind of what this is I think so. I think so. Yeah, that sounds. That sorry, sounds, I don't know. Why yeah. I'm quoting the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite useful to think of an example. Um, and one of the examples I sort of think about is when, um, you know, I change a lot in my career all the time. Like I love changing my career, and I love that control of changing things up and mixing things up, and that feels very natural. But in my home life, I really don't like change so much. Um, and I suppose two 
two examples are of, of uh, sort of against that really is that when I was um, a GP um, through nothing to do with me our practice had to shut very quickly and as a result we were all two paid over to another practice and you can imagine that that is a huge enforced change that was terrifying and really distressing and as a team we didn't cope well with it and as and personally I found it very unsettling and very difficult and I think if I had known at the time what I know now about change, I think I would have coped better with it. Um, and even I don't think I even accepted that it was OK to feel that stressed about it. And I didn't really know how to move forwards about it. And I didn't know how to justify my feelings. And I think that, you know, in that enforced change, I didn't see any opportunity. I didn't see any growth. I didn't see that this there could be some silver lining in there. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like that and it takes time to get to that, but there is something called a change cycle and, and it's very similar to the grief cycle actually, where you, you go through this denial bit, then you get really angry. Then you start bargaining. Oh, can we do this? Can we do that? And then it's get sad and then it's accepting it. And often when you, if you know that you're going through that bit, it really helps. And so that bit about sort of enforced change, if you know where you are in the cycle, you, it can help and also recognizing that if you're going through that probably other people are so if you're having a meeting with other people and there's enforced change going on actually if someone's angry it's probably because just that that's where they are in the cycle and it helps to understand where people are at a little bit more so I don't know I think that that's we all go through change so even if you love change enforced change can be challenging and that's okay yeah so yeah, I mean, that that sounds really powerful. And I, I can imagine we've all been in experiences where we've had that enforced change, but not had the, I don't know what it is, the sort of self-awareness or kindness to kind of recognise what's happening and, and why we are feeling the way we're feeling, um, which sounds like it's an important sort of part of, of managing that change. One thing that um, really struck me is getting to the point where you can see the opportunity in a change, which... I'm someone who I find change <laughs> difficult in probably most aspects of my life. Um, uh, but, you know, eventually mm. I will get to a point where I'm like, oh, actually, this is really good. Um, but I, and I wish I could speed up that the time it takes me to get to that point. But so what what are some sort of tips? Is, is this just who I am or are there things that people can do to kind of see that opportunity, see the um, sort of uh, possibility of growth um, there? Well, I think you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it is, we, we tend to respond in the way that we've always responded, but that it, the quickest and the most easy way to change that, if you're not happy with how you respond to change, is to do exactly what you've done, which is to notice when you're in change. Because when you notice it and go, right, I've got permission to feel like this, suddenly you go, oh, so I'm not, you know, being ridiculous. I'm not overreacting. I'm just having a normal response. And there's some work done, um, by a really interesting uh, guy from Stanford called Shazad Sharmin. Um, he did um, some work on something called PQ intelligence. And what he says is that there is always um, a gift um, through adversity. So there's always a gift there. And so when you're in a really yucky, horrible situation where you feel terrible, whether it's change or whether it's something else, there is always a gift. There's always learning. There is always something that you can gain from it that actually you didn't have before and that is the bit that's really important and that sounds a bit like well that can't possibly be you know if I'm you know in COVID and I'm being toopied over to another role which I never had before there could be no gift in there there is always a gift you know what did you learn who did you meet what did how did it change who you are and you know what will you use going forwards there is always a gift there and I suppose it's just finding it. So if you know that in change, there's always a gift. And if you know all you have to do is notice it, that you're going through change. If you pin those two bits together, it's almost like, okay, I am changing. I feel horrible. Where's the gift? And just by asking yourself, where's the gift? Suddenly it changes the change because you're like, okay, this doesn't, this isn't what I want. This is an enforced change. I've recognized that. But actually somewhere here, there's something that's going to help me. I like that idea. Where's the gift here? <laughs> um, I know. Um, just <laughs> listening to you speak, Claire, something that's been kind of swirling around in my mind 
hearing about kind of enforced versus chosen change makes me wonder, and and then speaking a little bit about kind of the change cycle and accepting and noticing change, it just makes me wonder how much of, you know, coaching people dealing with change in one way or another relates to kind of making people more active or self-empowered agents in their life or career compared to, you know, like passive, that feels like the wrong word here um, because I don't mean it to be pejorative, but just, you know, how much of your, how much of coaching people through change kind of deals with making people feel they're more in control? A lot, but that also, you don't need a coach to do that. Because the reality is that if we know that change is always going to happen, and if we know that there's always a gift in there, if you change your mindset, which you can do yourself and start to ask yourself questions, you know, what's the opportunity? How can I grow in this change? How can I make this easier on myself? Who might be able to help me? All those sort of questions allow the change to be more palatable. And the people that embrace change, the people that take change as an opportunity, actually go through the same change as somebody that doesn't like it, but actually have a far smoother journey than the people that hate change and can't deal with it and want to run away and hide under their duvet. But the people that feel like that, if they start to use some of these tools and techniques and questions, actually they start to move towards that feeling of being able to manage it in a far smoother way. So the coaching room allows that to happen, definitely. But you don't need a coach to do that. You can just start to say, okay, change is going to happen. Do I want this to be really hard and really difficult? Or this change is happening anyway. Should I try and find the easier path? What will make this easier? Okay, well, first of all, I notice this change. Secondly, there is something positive in here. Change is an opportunity. Change is a a chance to grow, to learn. Where's the gift? What do I need in place to help me with this? What would make it easier? And just asking yourself those four or five questions actually allows you to be, even if you don't see yourself as a change maker, a change agent or a change lover, whatever word you want to say, it starts to move you in that direction and allows you to cope with the change better. So a lot of coaching is around that. Um, Can I um, maybe reveal myself as as one of those people who probably doesn't like change in the workplace too much in that it seems to me that most of the change that happens within primary care probably doesn't need to be made or comes at an opportunity cost, which is greater than the any benefit is ever likely to be seen for patients or or staff. Um, it sounds like maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but a lot a lot of what you're saying is like helping would be very helpful to those who love to see change, even if it's not for the better, because um, it helps me to feel more at ease with the change. Um, you know, as in when actually maybe what I should be doing is getting staying angry for longer and resisting it further and. Um, you know, pushing back on some of this. Or, yeah, what do you think? Um, do, do you mean in the sense of that, that change, if you disagree with the change, that you should push back against it? Yeah. So I suppose it depends on control and influence in that situation. That would be my view on that. So there are certain things on in the NHS that um, particularly that happen that feel silly right that that, you know there's a committee for a committee on a committee and you just get a really good process in place and then suddenly it changes to something that doesn't feel as good and that creates a lot of frustration and anger which I think is good but I think sometimes you have to work out where the control and influence sits so I'll give you an example I was working with a clinical lead of a service and she was having a very difficult time because there was a huge amount of disruption and change in her service through no fault of her own just coming from on high and she was trying to change it all and she was really angry and she was just like this is ridiculous I can't do this this isn't right for my patients this is just not working but what was happening was she was getting very low very anxious very depressed and finding going to work very difficult and when we looked at things further what was happening was that she was effectively hitting her head against a brick wall. There were certain changes which were enforced, which were happening regardless of whether she wanted it to happen, regardless of whether she wanted it to be that way, they were happening. And what we did was we looked at where her control 
lay and where her influence lay. And the things that she had absolutely no control over, there was no point in her trying to be a change maker for them because there, it just, all that it did was take all her energy away from the things that she could influence and control. And suddenly by doing that and by actually looking at what she could control and influence and by putting her anger and her drive and all the rest of it into the things that she could shape and grow, actually what happened is she became a lot happier. She was far more fulfilled in her job, but she was also providing much better patient care because she was actually providing stuff that she could have influence over rather than making no no difference at all, hitting her head against a brick wall about things that were going to happen anyway, even if you didn't feel they were right. So I suppose maybe that's a bit provocative. Maybe it's a bit, I don't know, not what everyone would agree with. But I've seen it work in the sense that, yes, there are certain things that make us very angry because we know in our heart it's not right. But actually, they're still going to happen. And it's about working out where to channel that energy and that that control and the influence. And you will always have control and influence about something within that. It's just about picking the right thing. And do do, do you work on like red lines as in actually if this thing which I don't agree with is you know completely dis- um uh you know it isn't worth it for me and I step away or you know when, that's where you might quit because it's so um the changes or whatever uh the the, the work environment you're in is is something which is so odds with your your own sense of right or wrong or what you want to do or not want to do so that's really interesting. I, I don't ever use the word quit because I think that quit makes it sound like you have, um, you're unable to match the challenge. And often when people remove themselves from a situation, it's because the situation is very much at odds with their values. And knowing what your values are, and I'm a massive advocate about values, knowing what your values are and aligning your career towards your values will help to reduce that unsettled, angry feeling. Um, so I always, I always say that you know, I always thought I knew what my values were. So you, you know, the values to me are like you know, your essence of who you are. And my friend, um, who's also a coach, does some work around values. And I just always thought, well, I don't need to do that work because I know what my values are. And then she sort of says to me, what are your values? Kind of like, oh, I, they're just, you know, I know who I am. I don't need to tell you the words because I know who I am. And then she did this work and I was like, I can't bother to do that. It's going to take too long. I, I'll just borrow her values because she's a great person. So I borrowed her values for a bit, her three words, whatever they were. And I was like, do you know what? They're great words, but I'm not sure they're me. So I sat myself down, which took me all of five or 10 minutes. And I did a values exercise and I came up with my three words, which were kindness, loyalty and integrity. And I realized that those three words have shaped my entire career. So there was one point in my career where I left a job. I didn't quit it. I left. And um, basically, when I left that job, I felt like I'd overreacted. I felt like I was a quitter. I felt like I was rubbish. I felt like I'd just been, why on earth had I left? I couldn't tell you why I'd left, but I knew I had to leave. And it was only after I'd done this values exercise, I realized that every single one of my three values, my top three values, were um, being shot at, if you like, in that role. And however much I tried to control it, however much I tried to control and change that environment, those values were never going to be upheld. And sometimes we don't have to be in environments where our values are totally upheld, but they were so shot down in that environment that I couldn't stay. And it was only when I realized and I look back that actually that was why I left, that suddenly I realized that there's no situation where you're a quitter. There's just situations where they're not right for you because your values haven't been aligned with what was happening around you. And that doesn't mean that that situation is wrong. It just means it's not right for you. And I suppose that's, for me, so important. And I do a lot of values work with people because once you know your values, you can align your career towards it. You can align your life towards it. I know I can't be around people that aren't kind and loyal and have integrity. I, it's, I find that very challenging. Um, but also it means that if I am around those sort of situations or organizations, I'll do less of it and do more of it in another, you know, get it from another environment. So that awareness, I think, can really help you and speed into why this change is really making you very cross. Thank you. That's a good answer. <laughs> mm. I, I think that can also help with... Um, understanding you know we've probably all been in situations where um you might have one reaction to a change but your colleagues or someone else is reacting differently and I think 
remembering kind of, you know, how we're shaped by our values and and I guess how we all respond differently to change can help can help with that too. And also I think it depends on, you know, how you've gone through change before. And that's one of the biggest things when you're in a change is to look around you and think about other people's stories, other people's paradigms and think about, you know, well, this person's reacting like this. I wonder why. Well, maybe they've had a very traumatic association with this type of change before, or maybe they've had a really joyful association with this type of change before. So that's why they're like, yeah, let's do this. You know, (laughs) somebody else is like, no, 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 no. This is wrong. You know? So and I think about respecting each other's stories, respecting each other's response to change is really important. So just because you, you know, if you're a change maker and you can see a way forward and you're like, yeah, we've got to do this. It's going to be amazing. Well, you might be right, but there'll be people in the room that feel differently to you. So you need to understand as a change maker, a change leader, what those people need and that's all around listening and that's around really understanding their stories and being kind and transparent and open and sharing where the gift is and not trying to um sort of be dictator about it but actually taking you know really bringing it as a team moving forwards and and really understanding where people are coming from and how they feel about the change and often they won't know how they feel so doing a bit about that is really important I think yeah I'm, I'm sure there's there's so much more here we could talk about about kind of you know if you're a leader or manager how you can kind of almost do a kind of coaching with your your, your teams as well but but maybe we have to save that for next time because <laughs> I feel um we've we've talked about so much it's been so fascinating and Claire we'd love to have you back on sometime in the future I'm sure there's so much more um we could discuss um so claire where can um our listeners find you if they're kind of interested in finding out more about you and your work so the first thing i'd say is that people contact me all the time so don't be afraid to i literally speak to doctors all day every day um so you can i'm all over instagram i'm a bit obsessed um so you can find me at um, at dr claire k coaching and i'm always posting free resources free tips and tricks seminars podcasts all sorts of free resources for people, particularly doctors. Um, So you can just, uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see lots of things there. I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, all under Dr. Claire Kay. And um, if you want to find out more about me, you can check out my website, which is drclairekay.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That's been really brilliant. Um, And yeah, I'll say goodbye to Tom and Jenny as well. Bye, Jenny. Bye, Navjoy. Thanks for having me. And bye, Tom. Bye, Navjoy. And thank you, Claire. It's been really interesting and useful. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely being with you guys. So that's the end of this episode. And actually, that's it for Deep Breath In for 2022. So thank you so much, everyone who's listened over the past year. We'll be back in 2023. And as always, we'd really love to hear what topics you would like us to discuss. So if you have any ideas, please do drop us a line at practice at bmj.com and we'll do our best to pick them up. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.